this is Maureen Milliken. And this is Rebecca Milliken. And this is Crime and Stuff. The podcast. You would do if you had nothing better to do. We are still not on schedule. Who cares? Well. I mean, I do care. But maybe our listeners do. And but No, I'm not criticizing us i'm just telling people we <laughs> still intend to get we this crazy every few weeks thing we hope to get back to a regular schedule soon yes maybe not really soon because if things go as scheduled for the first three weeks of october i'll be in new hampshire covering the logan clegg Ooh, murder trial exciting. but i'll maybe do an episode about that we've already yeah. done a couple but we'll get back we know you guys will stick with us no matter thank what thank you everybody but and i have you're no, all so wonderful they are well i was gonna do a main mini and stuff but i have too much going on so I and i don't have any updates that Good. i know of well then maybe we know. should just get right into your thing okay first of all i had a very difficult time finding sources for this episode most of my information was obviously from newspapers.com, like I always do, because I like going to the source. The Portland Press Herald, the Evening Express, the Lewiston Sun, Biddeford Sun Journal, Bangor Daily News, wow. and Associated Press. And there's also some British sources, BBC News, The Independent, The Mirror, The Whole Daily Mail, and The Guardian. Wow. But yeah, but everything was just little bits and pieces. Oh, okay. And when I get into this case, you'll Momo, you'll recognize it. Okay. But I find it weird how little was written and how little I could find. It was very, very frustrating. Newspapers.com, all the UK newspapers end at the year 2000. And okay. online, if there's a, I found a UK newspaper archive and i'm like oh great that also ended on the year 2000 so hmm. i don't know why. i wonder what they've got going on 23 over years you guys yeah. anyways well, maybe, maybe they... there's some kind of a law I don't yeah know. they have weird laws over there so anyways let me get into it. it was new year's eve 2012 andrew denton age 49 of kingston upon hull england hadn't been heard from by family and friends and they were worried his outgoing voicemail told callers expect the worst Andrew's niece, Gail Coates, went to his home at 12 Holland Street to check on him. She found her uncle dead of an apparent suicide. Almost two years later, and 3,000 miles away, Sidney Kilmartin of South Windham, Maine, was arrested and charged with mailing injurious articles and mailing injurious articles resulting in death. The second charge could result in a sentence of life in prison if he was convicted, or even the death penalty. Even though Maine does not have the death penalty, the charges against Sydney were federal charges. If you're charged with a federal crime, the state sentencing laws don't matter. Do you recognize this yet? I don't think, but keep going. But Eric Holder, who was the United States Attorney General at the time, declined to seek the death penalty for this case. The charges against Sidney Kilmartin were related to the death of Andrew Denton. A headline in the November 6, 2014 issue of the Waterville Morning Sentinel read, Man Charged with Killing Englishman Via Mail. Hmm. The Lewiston Sun Journal had the headline, Maynard Charged with Killing Man in England by Mailing Cyanide. The newspaper articles did not say where Sidney was when he was arrested, only that he was being held in custody in Bangor. There is a federal courthouse in Bangor, so it's probably why he was held there. But the headquarters of the main federal district court are in Portland, and Wyndham is only 15 miles from Portland. So it was very scant. It was just one of the many details I couldn't find an explanation for. Sidney and Andrew were first connected online, of course. Andrew frequented the website 
wantdeathblogspot.com. I don't believe this site still exists unless it's on the dark web or something. I tried looking it up and it didn't come up. The site was apparently a pro-suicide blog and probably had a message board where people could talk about how much they wanted to end their lives. Sydney Kilmartin, sometimes known as Skip, visited the site as well. Sydney told people he would sell them potassium cyanide. He charged anywhere from $150 to $250 for 500 milligrams. In case you don't know, potassium cyanide is an extremely toxic form of salt. If you ingest enough, about 250 milligrams, you'll vomit, have trouble breathing, go into a coma, and eventually die. I think that's one of the drugs used in death penalty it states when people are killed by injection. Cyanide releases a poisonous gas, hydrogen cyanide gas, which hinders the body's ability to breathe and use oxygen. When it's swallowed, it causes nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain, and irritation or corrosion of the lining of the esophagus and stomach. <laughs> if you take a large enough dose, you'll die within seconds. It's used in gold mining, used to extract gold and silver from ore. It can be used for fumigation. It's also used for electroplating. And I'm not a scientist, so I didn't really understand the explanation, but it's something with coating something with metal, like a bullet coated with metal or like a piece of jewelry coated with gold. I think it's because it extracts the gold somehow, but I don't Who know. Knows? I don't know chemistry, people. I don't mean either. Um, jewelers use cyanide for cleaning gold and restoring gold. In my research, I found that there were a lot of stories about jewelers who got sick and or died from cyanide poisoning. So you have to be very careful. Ugh. And of course, we've all seen the spy stories where the agent carries a little cyanide pill to take in case he or she gets captured so they can die before giving away any secrets. Just like in Hitler's bunker. Yeah. It's shipped in, a t in tablet, pellet, or capsule form. It looks like granulated sugar crystals. Don't think it's sugar. Okay. If you have it. Why was Sidney Kilmartin peddling cyanide to suicidal people? Who was he? And what was his motivation? Was he an angel of mercy or a psychopath? Also, do you re know, remember this one? I, I don't. It's weird oh, because so weird. I would I was working at the paper. I know. Then, and it seems like something that would have peaked. But there's precious little written about. It. I remember it. it. Be, I don't know. But this was when things started going downhill and newspapers started covering fewer things. And, you know. It's a big story. Anyway, Sidney Kilmartin grew up in Portland, Maine. I tried to find his birth notice, but to no avail. He grew up in the North Daring area which is a part of Portland. He graduated from Chevrolet High School, mm. which was a, a Jesuit boys high school at the time, and it has since become co-ed. Our brother Jimmy worked there for yep, years. Until they... No, they got rid of Latin. Right. A Jesuit he... high school that got rid of Latin. Yes, the they got rid of Latin because... But I still think it's stupid for a Jesuit high school not it to is. teach Latin. Yeah, and now he teaches at a public high school in New Hampshire and teaches Latin and Greek. So there, it makes more money than he did at Chevrolet. Good boy. Anyways, we got off track. Yes. The first mention of Sydney in the newspaper I found was from 1978, from when Sydney was in high school. The Chevrolet Football Parents Club was having a garage sale to raise money, and one of the salespeople was Sydney Kilmartin. I'm not sure if he was a player, or team manager, or maybe just a fan. Yeah. He must be the same age as me if that was 1978. He graduated in 1980, as you'll see. Okay. In 1980, Sydney graduated from Chevrolet High School without any special honors. He was in the rest of the, you know, they had the... 
All right. Cum laude and all that. And he was down in the bottom. Later that year in the district court notices in the Evening Express on October 29th, 1980, Sidney Kilmartin had appeared for failing to stop for police on Route 202 in Wyndham and was fined $100. Mm. That was the first of many notices in the newspapers. The Evening Express, the Portland Press Herald, the Lewiston Daily Sun. Over the next eight years, there were at least a dozen court appearances by Sidney Kilmartin for relatively minor offenses like trapping during a closed season, trapping with a suspended permit, speeding, driving after suspension, uninspected vehicle, driving a motorcycle without a license. Most of them had fines, 50 or $100. A couple were $200. So they're like minor offenses. So he sounds like one of those guys who just thinks the rules don't apply to him. I believe so. And as you will see, there were other issues. Okay. On September 9th, 1988, there was a short article in the Evening Express with the headline, Dog Takes Action. Mm. Since it's a short article, I'll read it in full. But just a trigger warning, especially for you, my sister, it is very poorly written. So. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to have a trigger warning if you don't like, you like dogs being harmed. Oh, no, the dog's fine. A police dog used to corral a fleeing suspect early this morning reacted normally when the man made some sudden motions while being handcuffed, ripping his shirt and leaving some welts and scratches on his arm, police said. Patrolman Robert R. Martin said he and patrolman Dwight G. Burtis, William Soper, and Stephen D. Taylor arrested Sidney P. Kilmartin, 26, of Brookview Terrace on charges of operating under the influence and failing to stop for police at about 1.25 a.m. Kilmartin was taken into custody after he and an unidentified companion bolted from a car on Riverside Street, said Martin, who followed the car from Forest Avenue after seeing it swerve several times across the roadway. Martin, the other officers, and police dog Kent gave (laughs) chase, Losing sight of one man, but cornering Kilmartin, who was identified as the driver of the car behind a house. Kilmartin, (laughs) I know. Kilmartin obeyed the officer's orders to lie down. But as they tried to handcuff him, he made several, quote, quick and furtive movements, end quote, that Kent responded to by ripping his shirt and scratching (laughs) his arm. No cuts were opened, however, and Kilmartin was taken to the Cumberland County Jail for booking. Martin said the dog probably thought Kilmartin was trying to attack the officers and reacted properly. What a good dog. The article. <laughs> and that just reminds me of the dog Yoda who caught that prisoner. Right. Posted on threads about it. How like 50 officers were posing all like, oh, look how great we, oh. are. we caught this guy. But Yoda Oh, the recent prisoner. Yes. I thought you were talking about. I thought you were talking about your Arnold Nash episode. Oh, yeah. It's always the dogs. It's always the dogs. But they're not credit. They're not credit. The police force should just be dogs. I know. Because the police always want to take all the credit. And it's the dogs that do the the work. Dogs find everybody. So I just thought that was a funny little article. It is. And it was very poorly written. It was. Especially the part about behind the house. Behind the house and the one about ripping his shirt. It made it sound like Kill Martin ripped his shirt. Right. Through the 1990s, Sidney seemed to behave. At least there's no mention of him in any police beat or district court reports. I did find his name in a couple of ads by Shaw's Supermarket. So he worked there. Every year, Shaw's took out a full page ad thanking their employees who donated part of their paychecks to the United Way. And Sidney's name is listed Mm. in 1995 and 1996. 
But as the 2000s progressed, Sidney showed up in the court reports again. On December 1st, 2002, he was charged with criminal trespass and assault, and he was convicted of both. He was eventually sentenced to 180 days in jail, all but seven days suspended for the criminal trespass, and a year of probation and 180 days in jail, all suspended for the assault. So he spent seven days in jail. I could not find any details about what led to these charges. I didn't see any articles about someone getting assaulted or who was this, I don't know. On May of 2005, Sidney was arrested for criminal threatening. On October of 2007, he was arrested on violation of bail conditions, burglary and aggravated assault. We'll discuss that one later. In 2010, Sydney bought a 50% interest in a timeshare at Harbor Ridge Condominiums. I'm assuming it's a condo complex in Southwest Harbor, Maine, on Mount Desert Island, but there are a lot of condo associations with that name in the country, but that was one. Then, not much was heard about Sydney Comartin in the papers until his arrest in November 2014. As for Andrew Denton, the other player in this drama, there isn't much information. It was very frustrating trying to find out anything about him. I hesitate to call him a victim because the situation is more complex than killer and victim, and we'll talk about that whole thing after. Andrew was clearly depressed for a long time. His family told news outlets that Andrew had several suicide attempts before he took his own life in 2012. But apart from his age at the time of his death, which is 49, I couldn't find anything more about him in the United States newspapers. The scant articles from the British news outlets that I could find online did not have much information on Andrew Denton. I'm saying this because I want people to know that I'm not deliberately ignoring Andrew. I simply couldn't find anything like what he did for work or where he worked. If he had family besides his niece, I didn't find anything. Well, some of it could be because suicide, they tend to not write the way. Yes, but after the fact, you'll see as this goes on. Yes, but still, okay. you'll see as we go on. And also, and I, I was actually going to mention it when I did my NNW too, British press laws are much different than ours. Yes, they and are. And there are restrictions to what you can write about people and the information, like victims and stuff, the information you can get about them in print, I believe. It, like his family could be open and talk yes. to them. But as far as just reporters digging up info, I think there are more restrictions than there are here. But also this was covered in the United States I know. too. In the United States, reporters were lazy and there was less, uh, you know, if they can't Google the guy and find out about it, what are they going to do? But I do think there was more. I just couldn't find right. it because some of the United States articles referenced articles that were in the British papers, but I couldn't find them. Right. And that was also that kind of time yet yeah, when everything wasn't going online. Yeah, I know. That squishy yes, era. Exactly. As the story unfolds, a little more information will come out about Andrew. Just a little. So back to November of 2014. Sydney was charged and held in jail in the Somerset County Jail in Skowhegan. U.S. Attorney Halsey B. Frank told the Associated Press that the federal district court was having a hard time finding a lawyer for Sydney. The office of the federal defender was not representing him. Maybe he had too much money. I don't know. After sitting in jail for about a month, Sydney had a detention hearing at the district courthouse in Bangor. Sydney pled not guilty to all the charges against him. The Independent, a UK news outlet, reported, appearing in court earlier this week, the Portland Press-Herald reported that Kilmartin appeared confused, saying, it's kind of overwhelming right now. Now, 
I did not find that report in the Portland Press Herald. I don't know why. I looked at all the papers. And this is still quoting the Independent. His lawyer, Jeffrey Silverstone, interrupted him before he could enter his plea to Magistrate John Nevison, amending it to one of not guilty by reason of insanity. And that's the end of the quote. Justice John Nevison ordered Sydney to be held without bail. The judge said there was no way to assure the safety of the community, given he mailed cyanide that someone used to kill themselves. U.S. Attorney Frank said there was also no way to guarantee that Sydney would show up for trial if he was released. Sydney Kilmartin had obtained an attorney by this. I think that Jeffrey Silverstein was like attorney for the day or whatever. Sydney Kilmartin had obtained an attorney by this time, James Billings from Augusta. And James did not return calls to papers. And he has other attorneys down the line that don't seem to want to talk to newspapers either. Like they kept saying his lawyer had no comment. It was reported about this time that Sydney had been committed to a, quote, psychiatric facility and later reports identified as Riverside Psychiatric in Augusta. In 2008, after going to court for assault, he was found not criminally responsible by reason of insanity. Hmm. There is frustratingly little in the papers about this, and no amount of searching brought up any articles about the attack or the court proceedings. An Associated Press article in 2014 said only that Sidney entered a man's apartment and attacked him while he slept. The only other mention I found was in an article by the British news site, The Independent, and I will quote it, and I'm not going to use an English accent, sorry. Okay. In 2007, Kilmartin was charged for aggravated assault and burglary after he broke into an 86-year-old neighbor's home and smashed a radio over his head. Kilmartin, who was discovered on the scene by officers, remembered nothing. The man was hospitalized, suffering from a broken jaw, broken eye, orbital, and cheekbone, bleeding on the brain, and, and a possible fractured rib. Kilmartin was found innocent due to insanity. While on bail, he was discovered in the possession of drugs, and in 2008, following a psychological examination, was committed to Riverview Psychiatric Hospital. I'd just like to amend that British depiction to say you are not found innocent because you are found not guilty. And he probably had some kind of conditions, even though he was found not guilty, which he broke by having drugs. I will also say that him not remembering the incident doesn't pass the straight face test. And I do wonder how not competent he was. I think he is nutty. You'll see. Sydney was released in 2011. Then in 2012, he started a cyanide selling business. Hmm. We'll have a lot to discuss after, believe me. At the end of January 2015, Sidney filed a motion to dismiss the charges. His lawyer, James Billings, argued that the law that was used to charge Sidney was written for someone like the Unabomber, for a person who sent letter bombs or something like that, that would explode when opened. The statute was over 100 years old and hardly used. Just to remind you, the charge was mailing injurious articles that resulted in death. James Billings said that even if Sidney admitted to mailing the cyanide to Andrew Denton, what Sidney did was not relevant to the statute under which he was charged. The judge denied the motion, of course, because judges deny a lot, most, most defense motions. More information came out when the judge unsealed the search warrant documents. Of course, they still didn't 
report that much. In February of 2015, four months after Sydney's arrest. According to an affidavit written by U.S. Postal Inspector Michael DeRochers, the trail to Sydney Martin started when Andrew's body was found. British investigators discovered that Andrew Denton had taken cyanide to end his life. Police wanted to know how he got the cyanide and found evidence that led them to Sydney Kilmartin. Concurrently in the USA, the Federal Bureau of Investigation, or FBI as we call them, already had Sydney on their radar. Michael DeRochers told the Hull Daily Mail, In my 28 years as an inspector, I have never come across potassium cyanide being mailed, and it's even rarer that it has led to a homicide. That he knows of. And I have an issue with that. It led to a suicide. Right. Uh, you could call it assisted suicide. I don't think I personally would call it a homicide. But Homicide again- is dying by the hand of man. So suicide technically is a homicide. Ooh, homicide so semantic-y. is but the post office guy probably wasn't being as semantically correct as that and he was misspeaking because sydney had been charged ian dobson the head of humberside police critical incident team said in a statement this is a great example of international law enforcement agencies joining up blah 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 The cops in England discovered the American link after the coroner, Rosemary Baxter, ruled the death was by suicide. The investigators wanted to know where Andrew got the cyanide. I think that they do an inquest and stuff a lot more often than we do here. They do things differently. A search of Andrew's computer and his home gave them a lot of information that led to Sydney. Sydney got the cyanide from a California company, Fisher Scientific, in September 2012. He invented a bogus jewelry company called SK Goldsmith. Initial reports said the faint company was in South Portland, but later court papers, and thank God for these court papers. I should have cited them at the beginning. I'm sorry, but one of my main resources for a lot of details was a spoiler alert. He does get convicted and he appeals and the appeal and the response to the appeal had a lot of information. So they said it was South Portland, but later court papers say he used a post office box at the UPS store in Augusta as a mailing address as he was living in Manchester, Maine uh, at the time. Either 88 Pond Road or 98 Pond Road. They used both addresses. Sydney used a check from his account at the Maine State Credit Union to pay for the cyanide. The check was actually made out to a broker called the Capricorn Group, but the cyanide came from Fisher Scientific. Sydney paid $127.56 for 100 grams of industrial grade potassium cyanide. Remember, he was selling it for 150 to 250 per 500 milligrams. So if he was able to sell it all, even at the lower price of 150 per 500, he'd still make almost $30,000 profit, I think. Don't quote my math. Sydney accepted payments from his customers through PayPal and Western Union. At the time, all the reports were that Sydney had sent Andrew Denton, like when he was first arrested, this is the reporting said that he had sent Andrew Denton two batches of cyanide. The first one was, quote, faulty. And we'll find out later that that isn't really accurate. It'll all be explained. Sidney t- sold his wares to more than just Andrew. He had quite a few clients, but Andrew seems to be the only one who died. And there's a reason for that. As we go along with the story, that will also become clear. Wow, there's so much foreshadowing. Yes, I'm trying to build a narrative, yes. a, a dr- dramatic narrative. Yes. When Sidney Kilmartin sent his packets out to his customers, he'd also email them advice. For instance, he told Andrew, 
You definitely want to take this on an empty stomach. Why? I don't know. So you puke less? It doesn't matter if you're going to die in a few seconds. What do you care? In March 2015, Sidney filed a notice with the court of his intention to use an insanity plea defense. Sidney had already filed a not guilty plea, but federal court rules required that if he was going to plead not guilty by reason of insanity, he would have to notify the clerk and other parties so they could prepare. Usually this would entail both sides having experts perform psychiatric evaluations and stuff. So yes, they do need to know. We've discussed before, and I think anyone who is interested in crime knows, the legal definition and the clinical definition of insanity is different. What the court really wants to know is if the person who committed the offense was able to understand that it was wrong and why it was wrong. By August of 2015, the case still hadn't gone to trial. Although they had set the trial, it just kept getting delayed. It had been scheduled for April, but the psychiatric evaluation was overdue. The U.S. Attorney's Office didn't really explain the reason for the delay. No one ca- seemed to care much since Sydney was just chilling in jail anyway. You know, when someone's in jail, they don't really care if it's delayed. In October 2015, almost two years after Andrew Denton's death, Sydney Kilmartin was found competent to stand trial. Sometime that late summer or fall, in the midst of his mental health evaluation, Sydney's lawyer, James Billings, withdrew and defense attorney Wayne Foote took over. This new lawyer, Wayne Foote, withdrew the insanity defense. Justice John A. Woodcock Jr., was he in the Amber Cummings one? He may have been. I do remember us discussing his name. Woodcock's, Woodcock's been in a lot. because Yeah, he, I think name. he was an Amber Cummings. He set the date for the trial to begin on November 3rd, starting with jury selection, and this was 2015. Then the trial was postponed until May 2016. Both sides asked for the delay because of the complicated nature of the crime and the number of witnesses, many of them from the UK. In a joint motion, Wayne Foote and U.S. Attorney Halsey Frank wrote, the party's represent that this is a large, complicated case and involves serious charges and penalties. The government may seek a superseding indictment. The government anticipates calling at least 35 witnesses in its case in chief, and many of the witnesses reside outside Maine and in England. Their presence at trial will require advanced planning and arrangement and significant expense. More information was coming out about Sydney's activities online. Sydney had been paid by at least four other people for cyanide, but the packages Sydney mailed out did not contain cyanide. Instead, Sydney packaged up Epsom salt and sent it to his customers. Epsom salt is magnesium sulfate. Like potassium cyanide, it looks kind of like granulated sugar. It's used mostly in a bath for soaking sore muscles. Its effectiveness has been debated, but people have sworn by it for hundreds of years. Some people take it for its laxative effect. When you ingest Epsom salt, it increases the amount of water in your intestines and it can help clean them out. Mm. But it also can make you sick to your stomach. Mm. But it is not going to make you die quickly and supposedly painlessly, like its cousin cyanide. It isn't really known how many people Sydney sold Epsom salt to. Some complained to the FBI and other authorities about his fraud, including Andrew Denton. That's how Sydney got on the U.S. authorities' radar from these complaints. But there were likely a lot of other people who never came forward for various reasons. Some of them maybe never used the substance they thought would kill them. They may have bought it, planning on using it, but it may still be tucked away somewhere while they decide the time is right. 
They can no longer stand living. Some may have taken the Epsom salt and gotten sick but didn't die. Maybe they regretted it and were happy to be alive. Or maybe they thought they really had taken cyanide and just didn't die for whatever reason. Other people may have realized they'd been duped but were too embarrassed to complain or thought that they themselves would be in trouble for also buying cyanide online and having it sent to them. But a few people did complain. And as I said, one of them was Andrew Denton. Sidney probably thought he was going to get away with it. After all, the internet is anonymous, right? He didn't have a very good pseudonym, though. It was Skip. I think people called him Skip. He used the name Skip Martin, and his name is Sidney Kilmartin. So it's like, whatever, buddy. I'm not sure why Sidney actually ordered cyanide. Andrew is the only person known to have gotten the real thing. In September of 2015, I think because it was very poorly reported, U.S. postal inspectors seized Sidney's computer from his brother-in-law's house in Westbrook. The seizure was part of a search warrant. The affidavit doesn't explain why the brother-in-law had the computer or how the investigators knew he had it, just that the brother-in-law went to Sidney's house and got it after Sidney's arrest. The computer was at the brother-in-law's house, but he hadn't been using it. I think it just been stored there. As they looked through Sydney's digital history, investigators found at least four other people who had purchased what they thought was cyanide from Sydney. Some were in Great Britain and some in the United States. I think two were in Great Britain of the four and two were in the Midwest. In an affidavit, Postal Inspector Jeffrey Taylor wrote, between March and May of 2015, the government retrieved those items and had them tested, and those items, he means the packaging, and had them tested by the Maine Health and Environmental Testing Laboratory, which determined that all were magnesium sulfate heptatidrate, commonly known as Epsom salt. In December of 2015, Sydney was charged with witness tampering and witness retaliations. The witness in question was none other than Andrew Dent. Now, I said before that Sydney had ordered cyanide in September of 2012. So he ordered it well before Andrew complained about him. And this witness retaliation was for Andrew's death. It's hard to say that he ordered it to kill Andrew, but I don't know why he ordered it if he wasn't sending it to people. It doesn't seem like, or that we don't know that. I'm totally speculating, maybe like a mystery writer here, but maybe he intended to send it to people, but he sent the Epsom salts first to see how things went and whether anyone, whether he got in trouble to or test anything. it out. That's true. That yeah. makes sense. Okay, that makes some sense. Uh, we'll talk about it later, right. about why I think that he did. The new charges from the U.S. District Court were one count of mailing injurious articles resulting in death, 12 counts of mail fraud and wire fraud, and one count of witness tampering and one count of witness retaliation. Andrew Denton was the target of the retaliation, as I just said. The government said that after the first batch of fake cyanide, Andrew reported Sydney. Sydney either sent the cyanide to kill Andrew and silence him, or to retaliate against Andrew for reporting Sydney to the FBI. When Andrew Denton connected with Sydney Kilmartin on the Want Death Blogspot website, Andrew was responding to Sydney's advertisement, or it was a post, I think, for cyanide, which read in part, a painless and quick way to commit suicide. He was charging 250 for 500 milligrams. And from what I read, the lethal amount is 250 milligrams. So if you took the whole packet, you're taking two times the lethal amount. On November of 2012, Sydney sent Andrew the first packet of cyanide. 
Andrew took it and didn't die, and he was pissed. He emailed Sydney and complained that he wasn't happy about being ripped off, his words, and if he didn't get a prompt response, he would, quote, start firstly by filling in the FBI online form, end quote. And that quote was from an affidavit. It sounds like a British person wrote it. Mm-hmm. When Andrew hadn't heard back from Sydney by December 7th, 2012, he filed a report on the Internet Crime Complaint Center, IC3, a multi-agency task force that handles cybercrime. Now, I didn't know about this. I guess it must be easy to find because a lot of people use it. Yes. In fact, I've written articles about it for Manchester Inklink because every year they release a report with a breakdown by state on what Ah. types of crimes, internet crimes are biggest in each state and stuff. Interesting. Yeah. Somehow Sydney found out that Andrew had reported him Andrew might have emailed him and told him or something. So Sydney agreed to send Andrew the real stuff in exchange for Andrew rescinding his complaint. Andrew got the package of real cyanide on December 19th. On December 20th, Sydney emailed Andrew and said the FBI was, quote, aware of my goings on. The last thing I need is to give them more fodder as you and I have had extensive conversations. He asked Andrew to, quote, do something with your hard drive before your event give it to a friend or discard it. Andrew responded that he would delete his emails, but he wasn't sure it would really matter. Then sometime before December 31st, Andrew, right before probably, Andrew took the cyanide and died. I read something else that said five milligrams per liter of blood is lethal, and that would only mean about 20 to 30 milligrams is all that you needed to die. I don't know unless my math is bad, but Andrew took way more than he needed if he took all 500 milligrams. Andrew's autopsy showed that he had 17 milligrams of cyanide per liter in his blood. And I don't know how it works and when they're testing him, if it goes out of your system or whatever, I know nothing. The prosecution filed these new charges against Sydney because they said that he sent Andrew the real thing in order to kill him and silence him or to retaliate. And to me, it's like, well, is it one thing or is it the other? Right. It's like they're throwing a bunch of spaghetti against the wall and seeing what sticks. The prosecutor's argument was that Sidney thought he was in the clear because Andrew had recanted his complaint. And the only way his fraud would be found out was if Andrew told on him. By sending him the real cyanide, he was ensuring Andrew's death and thus his silence. My own opinion is that this is a pretty stretchy theory, but we'll discuss it. Mm-hmm. The new charges were superseding charges, which means they were adding to the original charges or they replaced the original charges. It isn't really explained and the newspaper articles, but one of the new charges is the same as the original charge. So I guess they were just replacing them. Mailing injurious articles resulting in death. That was already a charge and that was replacing that charge. Mm-hmm. And then he had the witness tampering and stuff or the fraud charges. But the upshot is that Sydney was still facing charges for the actual mailing of the cyanide that killed Andrew. He was also charged with causing Andrew's death to hide other crimes, the other crimes being the fraud. He was charged with causing Andrew's death to retaliate against Andrew for reporting the fraud. And he was charged with the actual fraud, which was selling the fake cyanide. In January of 2016, Sydney pleaded not guilty to the new charges. But in October of that same year, Sidney Kilmartin changed his plea on the mail and wire fraud charges. Shortly before his trial was to begin on October 3rd, 2016, Sidney pled guilty to the fraud charges, but he was still sticking to the not guilty pleas on the mailing injurious stuff and witness tampering and retaliation. So the 12 charges of fraud 
he pled guilty to. The trial lasted about a week. By this time, Sidney had a new attorney, Martin Ridge. Sidney was found guilty of mailing injurious articles causing death and witness tampering. He was found not guilty on the charge of witness retaliation. The jury deliberated for about two and a half hours. Not much was written about the trial in the newspapers, at least in the U.S. I don't know the gender makeup of the jury or have any quotes from witnesses or even any reports about stuff that happened in trial. I do have a quote from the BBC. USA Halsey Frank said in his opening statement, Sidney Kilmartin targeted vulnerable people who were depressed to the point of suicide to take advantage of. When Andrew Denton had the audacity to complain that Mr. Kilmartin had defrauded and taken advantage of him, Mr. Kilmartin killed him. I did get some information from other court proceedings that happened after Sidney was sentenced. Luckily, he appealed, and those documents were online, as I said. Sydney's sentencing hearing started in April of 2018. I couldn't find any reporting on why the delay was so long, because it was like a year and a half, between conviction and sentencing. I can guess that when it's a crime that has a long sentence, the court isn't too concerned about delays as long as the defendant is in custody. At the beginning of the hearing, Judge Woodcock said that since Sidney's actions resulted in death, the crime was the equivalent of murder, and he was leaning towards the maximum penalty, which in Maine is 25 years to life in prison. Although what I don't understand is why I don't understand how the court system works. It was a federal crime, and it was tried in, I guess, in the federal district court, but the sentencing was in Maine. I don't know. Yeah, I don't understand that either. The Woodcock wasn't a federal judge, right? He was a superior court judge. No, but they might, it's like they were talking about what's going on in Georgia now, where, what's his name? That stupid Trump guy. That he wanted it tried in federal court and they said it would still be the same. The district attorney would still be trying yeah, it and know. there would still be the same judge. So I don't know. I don't understand. I don't understand anyway. Judge Woodcock also pointed out that Sidney tried to obstruct justice by telling Andrew to delete their correspondence. Now Sidney's lawyer was Bruce Merrill of Portland. Now him going through all these attorneys, I have to wonder about. Bruce argued for a sentence of zero to 20 years because of Sidney's history of mental illness and suicidal behavior. But U.S. Attorney Halsey Frank argued for a longer sentence, saying that Sidney, quote, toyed with these victims. It wasn't just anyone. It was particularly vulnerable people. He sought them deliberately by advertising that he had a deadly poison website dedicated to suicide. It indicates to me a maliciousness that is pretty extreme. But Bruce Merrill had a different take. He said that Sidney was himself suicidal. He had attempted suicide by drinking antifreeze. And by overdosing on medication. Bruce told the court that Sidney was not in his right mind when he mailed the cyanide to Andrew. He said, quote, he thought he was helping Mr. Denton accomplish what he wanted to accomplish, not a premeditated malicious act. Bruce Merrill recommended no more than 10 years with three years of supervised release and psychiatric counseling and drug abuse counseling. Dr. Carlisle Voss testified that he had in interviewed Sidney three times, and though Sidney had serious mental issues, including depression and some mania, he knew right from wrong and was competent to stand trial. And I do agree that Sidney definitely had mental issues, but the fact that he told Andrew to get rid of the hard right, drive and stuff, right. it proves that he was, yeah, he definitely, knew yeah. what he did was wrong. The sentencing hearing went on too long, the first hearing. So they rescheduled it for a couple of weeks later. And in May of 2018, Judge Woodcock handed down his sentence, 25 years. 
The judge said he didn't want to sentence Sidney to life because, quote, life without any cope is quite a sentence to impose on anyone. But Judge Woodcock also said that Sidney's crimes were committed in an appalling moral vacuum worthy of stiff punishment, not merely illegal. They were perpetuated in a moral black hole, an unimaginable moral black well that these actions took place in. Sidney told the court he was disgusted by his own actions. He said, it was something that was the result of my pure stupidness. The court did me no favors when it took the death penalty off the table. Hmm. But at the same time, Sidney argued about the charge for which he was convicted. He said, you can't kill somebody who killed themselves. Defense attorney Bruce Merrill also started in about the verdict until the judge told him to knock it off. Hmm. This was not the time or place, which any lawyer should know. You're at the sentencing. It's already done. Right. Bruce also said that Sidney and Andrew were kindred spirits who bonded because they were both suicidal. He said, two very ill, depressed people talking about the best way to take potassium cyanide. Not the kind of conversation people normally have. USA Halsey said that Sydney took advantage of depressed people to make money. He said Sydney was killing someone to obstruct justice while taking advantage of vulnerable people. E. James Burke, a clinical professor of law at the University of Maine School of Law, told the Portland Press-Herald, for causing a death 25 years in the state of Maine for murder would be the absolute minimum. It is indisputably a heavy sentence, but if the judge felt that this was akin to second-degree murder, that's a heavy crime, end quote. Maine does not have a charge of second-degree murder in its statutes. But when Judge Woodcock said that Sidney caused the death of someone by his own dangerous actions, that's on par with second-degree murder. It's not really murder like going to right. stabbing right. somebody, but right. your actions cause someone's death. Sidney appealed his case, and it went up the ladder. His appeal was based on the always popular ineffective counsel mm. against, this was against Marty Ridge. But it was mainly about the inclusion of the trial testimony of the fraud victims. The evidentiary issue that was brought up on appeal is, I thought was kind of interesting. The defense objected to the other fraud victims being included in the trial because Sidney had already pled guilty of fraud, which is a good point. Why are they there? They have nothing to do with Andrew Denton. But the prosecution had a good point about why they were necessary. They all told their stories which were similar to Andrew Denton. All were suicidal. All met Sydney on the want death blog spot site. They all bought the cyanide from Sydney, sending the money through PayPal or Western Union. They also had physical evidence that was important. They had kept the packages that Sydney had sent them, which included the outer wrapping and the little baggie that the fake cyanide came in. All the packaging had the same handwriting and the return address from Manchester, Maine. Andrew had also kept the first package that contained the Epsom salt. Andrew also kept the first package that had contained Epsom salt, as well as the package with the lethal cyanide. Investigators were able to compare the physical evidence from the fraud victims to Andrew's stuff, and they matched down to the baggie used for both the Epsom salt and the cyanide. 
When Andrew's body was found, the second envelope was sitting on top of a complaint referral form from IC3. Like he had set it all, all up. He wasn't going to let no. Also, one of the court documents had the information. I could not find it again because those court documents were so, they were both over 50 pages long. Mm-hmm. And they were like, Ugh. when his niece found him, found Andrew, there was a beaker near him with the residue of the cyanide in it. And he had left a note for the person who found him to warn them that he had taken cyanide. And that, you know, it was poison. Because well, he nice didn't want to, Yeah. Another thing Sidney argued in his appeal was that the amount of time from Andrew getting the second package to his death made it possible that he got the cyanide from elsewhere. Anyway, it was over 10 days. So Andrew had plenty of time to make the decision on his own to kill himself. The prosecutor said that the fact that Sidney sent Andrew real cyanide but did not send it to his other fraud victims showed that he targeted Andrew for retaliation. But I'm thinking maybe Sydney just thought, wow, this guy's serious. And I'm wondering if Sydney had something where he wanted to make sure the people he sold his stuff to really wanted to end their lives. And the fact that, and I know this is weird speculation, but I was just thinking while I was writing it, like maybe he just wanted to make sure if somebody really complained and wanted it, then he'd really see the way I look at it is that he's not as thoughtful as you make him sound, but more like, okay, that fucking guy wants cyanide. I'll give him his fucking cyanide. Yeah, that's, and that's kind of so. We'll not like, about- oh, he really does want to die. Okay, I'll help well, him. Well, I didn't mean. But more okay. like, I'll show him. He'll okay. have his fucking cyanide. Okay. You know, we'll talk more about it. Right. And so you might not agree with this either. I don't know if he wanted to actually kill Andrew, but he wanted to provide him with the tools to kill himself. I'm not saying I think it's right. I don't know if he was retaliating though. I think he wanted to We can discuss it. Okay. But I do think he was afraid of getting caught. I don't think that was his main motivation though in sending the cyanide. I don't think he was trying to shut him up. I think he wanted to send him cyanide for other reasons. Andrew wasn't the only one who complained though. Uh, One of the fraud victims, Autumn Rowland, testified that she ordered cyanide from Sydney after seeing his post on Want Death Blogspot. She paid him $250 via Western Union, but she never got a package. In an email to Sydney on November 22nd, 2012, she wrote, I see that you have picked up my payment. When no package was forthcoming, she demanded a refund and said she would report him to the FBI if he did not respond. This was December 15th, 2012. Sydney replied that my supplier took 10 days to get it to me. He also said that he had mistakenly mailed two packages to the same customer. Both of these aren't true because this was the same time he was sending stuff to Andrew. So right. he had it. Autumn replied... I don't believe you and I want my money back. On December, <laughs> this is my favorite part. On December 27, 2012, Autumn emailed Sydney, and this is in all caps. You are a rotten, fat piece of shit. And I hope the next person to contact you for cyanide is with the FBI. Mm-hmm. Good for Autumn. Then she told Sydney that she had reported him to IC3. Right. A 15-year-old girl emailed Sydney, hey, I read your post on the suicide website and I'm done with life. Please help me out, man, with four, no punctuation except four exclamation points at the end. Edith May Collins, the girl's grandmother and guardian, found the email exchange. Sydney had answered, I am a supplier of potassium cyanide. It is fast, reliable, and painless. Get back to me for more info. Skip. This was January 3rd, 2013. Andrew mm. Denton was dead, although Sydney may not have known it yet. 
Edith May filed a complaint on IC3 about Skip Martin, and Sydney didn't know that she reported him, but she she was at the trial. As I said, there are probably a lot of fraud victims we know nothing about. I wondered if there were any others who got the real cyanide that we just never... I mean, if they were in the United States, somebody, oh, they killed themselves, blah. Right. Or Um, even in England. I mean, some suicides are investigated and some aren't. mm Mm-hmm. In December of 2019, the First Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that Sidney Kilmartin should have a new trial on the count of witness tampering. They upheld the conviction for mailing injurious articles that resulted in death. Although they called Sidney's fake cyanide selling scheme as cruel as it was cynical, they ruled that Judge Woodcock should not have allowed the other victims of Sidney's fraud to testify. The witnesses, quote, went into excruciating detail about personal lives, medical issues, history of depression, earlier suicide attempts, suicidal motivations, and the like. That barrage of emotionally laden testimony amounted to a blatant attempt to engage and inflame the jurors' passions. I could not find any report after about whether Sydney was going to have a new trial on that count. If you note the date... December of 2019, it was a few months before the pandemic started. My guess is they may have just dropped the charge since it wasn't the most important one, or it may have been delayed a million times. Who knows? And I can't decide. I go back and forth on what he was doing. I don't think he was trying to silence Andrew or retaliate. I think that he wanted to help Andrew kill himself. As you say, he might have been like, fuck you, here's your cyanide. But I don't think he thought about it enough to think he's not going to tell if I kill him because I think he knew he was, he already knew that the FBI was looking at him. So, so anyway, that's my story. Okay, He's still in prison. I have no idea about that other charge. I think they probably dropped it. Yeah. I mean, if he's going to be in prison for that injurious materials... I have mixed feelings about how responsible he is for the death. Yes, he sent him the cyanide. But if Andrew had ordered cyanide himself from that Fisher Scientific and killed himself, would they be responsible? Well, who's going to set up a fake business? Like, Andrew's not going to set up a fake business. If Fisher Scientific had sent him cyanide because he said, I'm suicidal, I want cyanide, they would be. Yeah, But the whole reason Sydney got the cyanide was because he had set up a fake business so he could legally purchase it. Yeah, it is weird, but maybe you're right. Maybe he wanted to. Do you want to know what I think? Yes. Or my feeling is that Sydney was a psychopath. He obviously, from his early charges, shows he's someone who didn't feel the laws applied to him. I'd like to know about his quote-unquote suicide attempts and what context they were in. Like, if they were done to manipulate someone they obviously weren't successful. I think he's a lucky guy if he actually drank antifreeze and didn't die from it. I, I don't mean to sound glib about suicide, but I think that the two ways he tried to commit suicide, if he had really wanted to, he would have been dead. And You're right. Yeah. I think that, he did this whole thing not because he was empathetic with suicidal people, but he wanted to play God. And this was a way to do it. And he wanted to jerk people around. I think the reason Andrew Denton was investigated was because he left that complaint under the beaker about Sydney, and maybe wouldn't have been looked into if he hadn't left the complaint sitting there in the note saying he'd taken cyanide. I think the reason that other woman wasn't mailed 
the cyanide was because Andrew had already made his first complaint. And we know Sydney was pissed off because then when he emailed Andrew to say, you know, clear your hard drive and shit, you know, you've already caused me trouble. So he wasn't going to mail her anything. The one who called him a fat piece of shit and everything. I think his motives for mailing the actual cyanide are not easy to quantify or qualify, but... I don't think it was strict, oh, retaliation or anything. But I do think he was like, okay, he wants a cyanide, I'll send him a cyanide. I think he was guilty of a lot of things. I don't know how directly guilty of Andrew's death was, but what I know uh, from reading and stuff about suicide, when people kind of start fixating on a cause, like Andrew was fixating on the cyanide, he could have gone and jumped off a bridge or done something else, but he was fixated on the cyanide. I'm sure Sydney yes. probably recognized that and knew that sending Andrew the cyanide would kill him. It's hard when somebody takes their own life to assign blame. But Sydney definitely was guilty of doing a lot of things that should have put him in prison, yes. even if it wasn't that. Well, I did actually think about this while I was researching writing this, that he's kind of a serial killer type from afar. Or like kind of a puppet master type. Yes, exactly. Like I'm going to send the, you know, right. I'm going to see if I can uh, get these people to, you know, I'm going to provide them right. with this. These then it's people, up to them. These people are depending on me and looking at me to answer their problems. And I get to choose if they live or yes. die. And But I do think that maybe he did. Those were like test runs, the Epsom salts. That, that's what I think. But maybe. I also think that maybe he, like I said, he was doing it to see if they really wanted it. Right. How bad did they want it? Who knows? Because if I were buying something like that online, and I'm not judging the people that complained, I'm just thinking about what I would do. I probably wouldn't complain if I took it and didn't die. I'd probably be like, it wouldn't occur to me to be like, I I wanted cyanide and I didn't get it. Yeah, how do you explain that? to the police Uh, i don't think he was actually suicidal himself i agree with you i think his suicide attempts were manipulative probably but we don't know enough about them but he clearly from the beginning and i don't know what he did before he was 18 because that wouldn't be in the paper but he clearly always at least once a year there was something and they were little they're little things but one sign of a psychopath is they don't think the laws apply to them they're gonna do what they want to do these silly laws that you have a license to hunt yeah have to have a license to ride a motorcycle or whatever i want to do what i want to do their stupid laws don't apply to me i'm trying to remember why i picked this one i remembered the case but i thought there was more about it i have a vague memory i just think it's weird that it was covered so little although i will say that that was the beginning of the real drop in energy and coverage and everything else of main newspapers and then it dragged on by 2016 2000 whatever nobody's covering anything nobody's writing about anything it's a interesting legal case and ethical and and just moral. I mean, there's a lot of things. Like I said, it's a weird case. Well, it's I, a weird thing to talk about. Right. Like, well, so was it his? I mean, the guy killed himself. He didn't go over there and kill right. somebody. And part of the moral so, issue is someone is dead. This guy had a website designed to attract people who wanted to kill no, themselves. No, he didn't. It wasn't the website. He just went on the website. Oh, he and, went on. Well, any, well, his, this guy went his, on a website with a post designed to attract 
people who wanted to kill themselves. Yeah. People who are guided by yes. moral thought feel something should be done, but legally there has to be a law that speaks to what he did. Yes. You could say that Andrew would have killed himself in any other way, but you know what? If Andrew had hired somebody to shoot him in the head, that person could still go to jail. Right. You but the person who supplied the gun to the person who shot him may not go to jail. Do what I'm saying? Yes. And and I'm not defending Sydney because I think if you mail cyanide to somebody who's told you they want to kill themselves by cyanide, then you are aiding their yes, death. You are. And yeah. Andrew wanted to bring Sydney down with him because he yeah, left that he stuff. Did. He didn't leave that stuff. I thought that was funny. He didn't make yeah. any attempt to clear his computer either. No. He just left the shit on it. Right? But Andrew had all sorts of, they said there were over 250 emails on Andrew, I mean, on Sydney's computer right. to people, you know, correspondence. So he didn't clear any of his shit out. No. An idiot. Because he probably thought, like a true narcissist, he wasn't going to get caught. They're not going to look at my computer blah 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 to me it reminded me kind of of that charlie cullen nurse where oh let's see what happens i'm gonna put these things in motion and let's see what happens right you know and like, you're controlling people's lives but yeah. you're not you you're not directly you're not hands-on you're right you're from afar so you think like oh well i you know right but you're still you're still controlling them right. so yes i thought that was, yeah, interesting. That was very, i hope you enjoyed it i did enjoy it it was very i really was frustrated though i would have liked it it, it is frustrating of, the little information available especially because i think it's such an interesting story yeah and not to go on a thing but as reporters continue to put less effort into their jobs and news organizations continue to have fewer reporters and to care less we're going to have more and more trouble finding stuff unless we just do stuff that happened before 2007 or whatever i know you know that's the way things are but once AI takes over, they can write the stories. <laughs> You're right. The information has to be there for AI to do yeah. it too. They couldn't have written AI couldn't have written a better script than you did. Oh, you're such a nice. <laughs> so, do you have a negative Nellies watching review? I do. <laughs> Hopefully I can read my notes. I hope so. Uh, my negative Nellie's watching is on the Netflix series, I Am a Stalker. Ooh, which, I didn't watch that yet. Okay. <laughs> which has eight episodes. And to tell you the truth, I have seen it. I've gone past it. You know, when you're clicking, looking for something to watch, I've blah, 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 blah. And the reason I've avoided it is because I'm not that interested in what the criminal has to say like yes. these things like i am a serial killer yes. and stuff because you know a lot of it's bullshit it's but, self-serving a lot of but times yeah. one thing i like about netflix is when you light on something it gives you a snippet of the show yes and i'm I like, like okay this looks interesting enough and i'm looking for a decent true crime show rather than a crappy one to watch i'm tired of watching oh, crappy. Really? so anyway this is a british series it's only got eight episodes and at first it's funny because you know how they'll say what country it's from and i didn't notice but i started noticing the captions and had british spellings 
And like, Ooh. instead of like, if there's birds chirping, instead of saying like birds or birds chirping, it said bird song. And I'm ah. like, oh, oh, that sounds British. And then I looked and of course it was British, but all the episodes take place in the United States. Mm. Several of them in Texas. There's an Arkansas, there's a Missouri, there's an Indiana. It does talk to the person who was arrested for stalking or convicted of stalking. But it also talks to the victims and other people and has talking heads. But the talking heads are all not only people who were involved in the case, but they're people, if they weren't involved, they're an expert who has reviewed the files of the case that they're talking about so they can specifically talk about the case. So it's very well done. And I'll just go through the negative Nellies. So bad reenactments. No, there are no reenactments. Like they'll show a street with traffic on it where something happened or something like that, but they have no actual reenactments of human beings. Very nicely done. Narrative cliches. No, there are no, there's no narration. There are cards. Like you have to pay attention because there are word cards. Almost more than 3 million Americans a year are convicted or charged with stalking or something like that. You'd think Hmm. I've watched six episodes. You'd think I'd know, but, oh, and I want to say, I was wondering, gee, this is a British show, but it's in like middle America. I wonder why, because they have stalkers over there too. But my speculation is what we were talking about earlier is that the laws are different for covering crime and criminals. You're much more free as a journalist or documentarian in America to have information and to talk to prisoners and stuff. And also maybe they just find America more interesting. I mean, too, you've got 300 million people, 3 million of them are convicted of stalking and, and with the different laws and stuff, maybe it just made for more interesting. But I'm wondering, because they don't explain why they're all in America. Yeah, so they have the slides. They're interesting. And they also have like a little timeline thing. So you can remember oh. like, it'll be like two, uh, 2015, June, you know, and then somebody says, but wait, he was convicted of, so it'll go back 2008, you know, when it switches scenes. So that's, that's nice. Yeah, I like that. Racial gender obtuseness. No, there's a mix of races in this thing. And they point out 80% of the people convicted of stalking are men. 80% hmm. of the victims are women, hmm. you know, because hmm. lots of times you think of stalking, you think of the crazy ex-girlfriend, you yeah. know, boiling the bunny or whatever. They do have one episode and I haven't watched the last two. So maybe more than one, one episode with a woman it's interesting because her case is very different than um, the men. And one thing I found was interesting is she's in Texas and one of the male ones uh, episode or two before hers was in Texas. And the guy in that one who had broken up with a, with a woman who had the woman had a, a young adult daughter who had a child as well and also had parents. So there's like four generations of this family. And this guy spent two years threatening and terrorizing this family and he finally broke into the parents house and used a stun gun and the father ended up having a heart attack and handcuffing handcuffing them and all this shit the prosecutor and i know it was a different county than the woman stalker thing but the prosecutor they ended up charging him with armed robbery and not with stalking and the prosecutor's like well it's really hard to prosecute stalking, you have to have all these little things, blah, 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 an armed robbery. It's like one incident and it's got a bigger sentence, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, couldn't they have prosecuted him for stalking too? And yet- the I know, couldn't they do both? 
And yet this woman who was convicted of stalking in a later episode in Texas was in a, I wouldn't call it a feud, but she and the ex-girlfriend of the guy she was married to were not getting along and she got extremely jealous. The ex-girlfriend was very religious. So she started leaving like little satanic things <laughs> and stuff. I know. It's I, not funny. I'm it's sorry. not funny, but they went after her with both barrels and it became apparently a national media sensation i somehow missed it but they prosecuted her and her mother it turned out actually her mother egged her on more Mm. and they're both on probation and can't speak to each other for eight years and and it's like wow they went after this young woman for this shit if a guy had been doing that Here's a guy who was terrorizing at four generations of a family and threatening to kill them. And he didn't get charged with the stalking. And yet this young woman who granted she was scaring the shit out of this other woman and causing her trauma. And she admits the woman who's guilty admits that now, although her mother is a different story. Yes, she should have been charged with something. But then this guy who threatened to kill this family, including a child, and the prosecutor's like, well, it's so hard to convict somebody. You know, it's like women, whatever the crime is, it's always the book is thrown at them. Yes. Yes. And you need to watch this. So you can. I will. Uh, we can. Come. It sounds good. I'll probably watch right. it later. And Start so I'll go on to the next thing. Lack of good visuals. Nothing wrong with the visuals. Ooh. It's very nicely filmed. Whoever the the filmographer is, it seems to like the contours of American cities and the Midwest. There's also childhood pictures, like when the stalker oh, will I like that. say, you know, I had a happy childhood or I grew up, blah, blah, blah. You know, they have pictures of their childhoods and stuff. So the visuals are good. And they also do a thing, and I'm going to put it in visuals, although it could also be in storytelling. You know, they, they're talking to the people who have been convicted, usually in prison. And one thing that's, I would say, universally true of everybody except for the young woman of all these guys convicted of stalking and the young woman's mother is they lie, rationalize, don't seem to feel what they did is bad, don't understand why it's stalking, blah, 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 blah. But they'll be telling their story and they'll show the prosecutor or somebody involved with the case putting on headphones and listening to the interview with the stalker the interview that the documentarians did with the stalker. And it's just an interesting way to show that, to show that audio aside from showing the yes. prisoner talking to show that audio and to show the reaction. Yes. And then the prosecutor will take off their headphones and speak to what the person said. And um, that could go in different places in this, but as a visual, it works well. And as storytelling, it works well. Missing pieces. I'm taking off. Point five, And that's because in a couple of the episodes, while the stalking is going on, it doesn't say whether the victim called police or not. Mm. And in both of these, it went on for some time. And whether they, they did or didn't, I'd like to know. Yes. And like to know what the response, why, and was, like to, what and, the response yeah. was. Or, I mean, and one of them, the woman didn't, when the guy first abused her, because also 80% of female stalking victims are also 
abused by their stalker. I think it's 80%. I can't remember. But at first, she didn't want them to call police. Okay. But then this guy starts threatening all four generations of this family. And they never say for two years, they never say whether anyone called police or not. Hmm. And I would like to know, and I would like to know if that would have made the prosecutor more inclined to charge him and there was maybe two episodes where i felt like okay are they calling police are they not calling police yeah inaccuracies and acronisms no storytelling Hmm. it's very good aside from the things we've talked about it does have interviews with the stalkers which is why i at first didn't want to see it Not not that i'm like oh i don't want to hear a criminal talk but um i've seen some shows where they take what the person says at face value and it's like okay they're letting this guy control the narrative yes but in this one it's good because almost to a person these guys are rationalizing they don't like being called stalkers one guy says i'd rather be a murderer be called a murderer than a stalker several of the guys say i would never hurt a woman i Mm. never met any physical harm i never would have physically harmed her and and then as they play the story out you see a lot of these guys have records a Mm. lot of these guys have domestic abuse records a lot of these guys you know it wasn't like this is an anomaly where they just snapped and this thing happened there's a lot of they try to play the sympathy card Mm. where uh, some of them had tough childhoods or were lonely and blah 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 and i'm like i get tired of that with with male serial killers too well he had a tough childhood he was made fun of in school he was bullied blah blah blah, yeah, blah. And you think of the microaggressions women have to go through every day of their lives which are just as bad as some guy being bullied or made fun of no for big ears or whatever and we don't get to use that as an excuse for anything even you know kicking a guy in the balls or something so i don't buy it but having the stalkers tell their side and then having the victims and families, and it's not all slobbery over the victims either. It's very, it presents it very well. So you don't, so it's not that kind of victim porn, as we call it. Yes. The juxtaposition, it really hammers home how these guys rationalize their behavior and expect people to believe them. And they also, to a person, except for I would say the young woman who was convicted on one hand they were obviously trying to terrorize somebody but they claimed to not understand how what they did would traumatize someone or harm them and i think that a lot of that has to do with them being psychopaths or sociopaths and not having the empathy yes they meant to harm this person and force this person to pay attention to them but no, they're not going to understand how that person actually felt. Can I ask you, were all, besides the woman case, which wasn't, but were all the other ones a romantic relationship type? Okay, no. It's interesting. Um, Some were, some weren't. One was a guy that this woman had just befriended hmm. and he worked for her and kind of quote unquote became part of her family because he was lonely and stuff but then he started stealing from her and stuff and so she said okay that's enough of that guy and he ended up draining her bank accounts and all Ah. but he he has reasons he really didn't think he did anything wrong and and sometimes they'll have the guy telling a story and you're like oh okay and then they'll have the other person say what really happened 
<laughs> you know, like like the guy who attacked the woman's parents and the father had a <sighs> heart attack with a taser. The guy kept saying, I had toy handcuffs to bring them as a present to give their grandchildren. Yeah. And I had a toy taser that I just happened to. And he kept calling them toy, toy, toy. Prosecutors like those weren't toys. It's interesting because they're different types of stories. Uh-huh. Oh, good. Freshness. Oh, back to the storytelling for a minute. <laughs> I am not taking the tea kettle point off, although there was... Ooh. There was somebody putting a tea kettle on a burner because A, it didn't follow it all the way through to pouring it with the tea bag and everything else. And Still second, though. and second, they're British, so they get a pass on the You tea. know what though? Uh, now that you've complained about the tea kettle thing, I think that was from the uh keepers. I notice that every time there's well, a tea kettle. I started like, complaining about it with the keepers, with the but keepers. it was because I started noticing it in every fucking documentary yes, I watched. I never know. That I know, was my whole I, point. That was my whole I point. I know it was, but I'm just That's saying. why I was taking the point away, except for okay. repetition, no. Banging the drum, no. Almost to a fault, it's subtle enough you have to draw they they let um the viewers draw their own well, that's good. conclusions there's no drum banging and so that's a 9.5 nice i highly recommend i was else. looking for something to watch so maybe i'll watch that. yeah you should it's just very very well done it, it's just really interesting how the stalkers as different as they all are are similar in that they say I would never harm a woman. I wasn't going to physically harm her and stuff, mm. but all their actions belie that. An overarching thing is that just shows you uh, this show better than any I think documentary I can think of shows how the convicted person will try to control the narrative and how some other shows are bamboozled. But this or they just let them not- talk without. Right, without without countering this. And that's why I like the prosecutor listening to what this guy is saying. I did skip over it many times because I just thought it was... Yes, I've seen it and I'm like, I don't know. I am interested in the, you know, the whole dynamic of stalking and stuff. Just the variety of situations. It's just very good. Very, I think my problem too with some of those and with... And even though you, you know, we have this podcast, which is true crime, and we are interested in true crime, obviously, but there's some people that romanticize it, or they get these fangirl over these serial killers, or are just very superficial. I, I like to think that we actually talk about it in, in context to society and things that and are going yeah, on. Yeah, and it's and- like I don't want to see something that's about a serial killer that isn't going to show the impact, or not just a serial killer but a stock i mean like you're saying the stalker the impact it had, like i didn't have a i wouldn't call him a stalker but when i was 16 i used to go to summer school that summer between i think it was six no i was probably between junior and senior year so i was walking across the bridge which is a, a kind of a long bridge and this guy was walking towards me and then he turned around and was like, can I walk with you? And I was Ugh. like, oh, I could tell he was developmentally disabled. So I was like, well, you know, I don't know. So I, I let him walk. And I don't know if I told him my name. I didn't tell him where I lived. How old was he? he like, was, was he a grown man or was yes, he a kid? he was or... a grown man. Okay. And he was very mild mannered. And so a few days later, dad was out in the driveway and this guy 
gave dad a letter to give to me mm. dad gives it to me. dad doesn't like what the yeah. fuck, dad yeah. he doesn't even say who why you why do you right. have this letter for my teenage girl yeah he just like oh this guy just gave this letter uh-huh. so anyways the letter was just like oh you're so beautiful and i love you and it was a long letter and mm. you're such and i was like oh right so then i tried to like avoid you know i tried yeah. i don't know what happened i can't remember how i resolved it but then i was working at Mr. Paperback with Ellen Jingris. And I don't know if you remember, but she used to walk everywhere. She didn't yes, have a car. Yeah. She looked out in the hallway of the, you know, the bookstore we worked in was, right. had windows and it was like a mini mall, but it was like an right. enclosed hallway. Yeah, Planet Fitness is there now. And she saw him and she was like, oh my God. And she's like, I, I'm gotta hide. And I'm like, why? And she's like, his name was She's like, you're he comes in here all the time and it's bothering me. Right. And I'm like, he bothers me too. Right. So he had done that to so many women. The door. Yeah. So he wasn't really a stalker. He was just a weirdo. Never but and didn't he didn't understand right. that you can't just do I that. Don't. The feeling of that fear and i don't i don't think people can understand how frightening it well, is women that different. this person is focused on you right. and you cannot get away from them. Women live in a different world as far as fear goes than men. It's a topic we've talked about before and we'll talk about again. But men scratch at it a lot. There are many times, I would say, all during my 20s, when I spent time hiding from people. Like when I first worked in Sanford, Maine, there was a freelance photographer who was just constantly coming to my apartment and knocking on the door. And it it wasn't, it was Rob. Yeah, that weirdo. I would go in the bathroom and hide. It was a small apartment and he would knock and knock and knock. And then like the next time he saw me, he'd say, oh, where were you? Your car was there. I'd say, well, you know, it's a small town. I walk places and stuff. And I don't know what indication I must have given him. Like, I don't, I don't think at that time, I understand that. What I'm saying is I was 22 years old. I likely didn't tell him, look just you gotta leave me alone mm-hmm. and just stop knocking at my door whatever instead i just hid from him and i yes. wouldn't say necessarily it was stalker but he did show up a lot of places i was at he had a police scanner uh. and stuff but it wasn't always places i was covering for a story and stuff he was a little creepy he never did anything but it's just like and i'm not equating it with like the people in this show yeah but it adds this level of anxiety to yes. your life when you need to avoid somebody and then when i was sports editor of the newspaper in new hampshire there was a guy i don't know i had he was involved in some kind of sports thing that i can't remember and he sent me flowers at the office which was annoying uh. he called all the time and it was another thing where he'd show up at places like after work when i was out with the guys and stuff and you know the people from work after work and you just want to be left alone and none of that was like threatening type stalking no but it was the kind of stalking where you're definitely giving signals that you are not interested yes. and it's and, anxiety inducing and i always felt like and i know people say well don't give people signals tell them because some people are numb nuts but my feeling with both of these guys was they knew I didn't want to be around them and was avoiding them, but they were going to force the issue Mm -hmm. and it didn't bother them that I didn't want to be around them. You know what I mean? It didn't bother them. 
So anyway, but it's a lot different from what. But it's just scary. And there's that meme about every woman has walked with her keys in her hand or has looked in the backseat of her, you know, blah, blah, blah. All the things that we do that men don't, like you were saying, like in that, it was funny when I was listening to the um, Groovy Tube episode, but you've told the story before about how you parked in the parking parking garage at the the USM. Yeah, at the college and how you told, you know, a couple men that, you know, it's kind of don't like going out there at night. And they're like, well, it's open until right. blah, blah, blah. Well, yeah, like, like, that's not the I, I think garage. to both of the guys, I said something like, I don't like parking in the parking garage when I stay at the library until yes. it closes. I like to park in the lot that's right near the library. And both of them said, well, the parking garage stays open until yeah. after everybody you know until and it's like no it, it's not that so i don't want to walk through a dark and one Duh. of them bruce coffin was a portland homicide used yeah. to be a portland homicide cop and i said no i i don't want to walk into a dark parking garage by myself at 10 30 at night and he goes oh i i never thought of that and of course you haven't you're six foot four i was and- gonna say six foot four well i remember having a conversation and i've had this conversation with more than one ma'am saying how you know it started when I was probably 12 wolf whistles and stuff and yeah. we're just used to it right and we're just used to it but it makes you the first time it happened I was walking up Western Avenue and someone did it and it's frightened the crap out of me I said this to a guy you know we've been putting put up with this shit and it's frightening you don't know when someone's right. gonna r- rape you and he's like oh because every guy that does a wolf whistle is a rapist it's like the point is we don't know the point is we're being and why it, do you we're, have the right to just right, yell at somebody? right the point is that w- that we're a target even a guy who does a wolf whistle is saying i have power over you yeah i can do what i want to you and yeah. you don't have any agency at all in my behavior towards you yeah and you like it or lump it. It's funny. I was reading this book, which was very good, but I had this one tiny quibble with it called Trail of the Lost. And it's actually written by a woman who used to be a, a national park ranger. And I can't remember what else she did, but it had to do with her looking for lost guys on the Pacific Crest Trail. And early in the book, I was listening to it actually early in the book, she brings up that men are more likely to die or disappear in the wilderness and stuff like that but women have this heightened level of fear that something's going to happen to them (laughs) and she said that she implied that women's level of fear is a false one men tend to engage in more risky behaviors and there are more men out in the wilderness and that's why they tend to die what she didn't bring up is women aren't afraid necessarily being attacked by a mountain lion or falling off a cliff or getting struck by lightning they're afraid of the guys on the trail. That's right. You know, and she didn't bring that up. Yes, we engage in less risky behavior. So we're not as likely to get lost in a blizzard or fall off a cliff or drown or whatever. But we are more likely to be killed or raped by the opposite sex. Exactly. And it annoyed me that a woman who had been in law enforcement didn't make that connection and implied kind of like that how women have this totally different level of fear that men do, but almost that women's level of fear was unwarranted. And yeah, it's like, yeah, it's unwarranted if you're afraid you're going to fall off a cliff or drown or get lost in a blizzard. 
but it's not unwarranted if you're alone on a hiking trail and come across the wrong guy you know but anyway i'm glad i could get that out because it's been bothering me for some time i'm glad but i do think that back to the women versus men being prosecuted it always seems to me like anything that happens whether it's the stalking or like and i'm not saying it's okay for anyone to kill their children no but when a woman kills her own children there is this huge huge hate and outrage and she's horrible and then men do it every day well it's funny it's it's not funny but there's a woman in in the boston area who suffered severe postpartum depression and killed her three children earlier this year yes and the headlines and stories about that are much bigger in the boston globe than the several men who have killed their wife and or children in the past couple years including this year in the area and it's like i guess it's just par for the course that a man's gonna kill i almost think that yeah i that's the thing i almost think that as a society we're like well men always do stuff like that they men suck and also a statistic show and you brought this up with the amber cummings episode men who kill their spouses are usually doing it because they're abusive and coercive control where women who do it are protecting themselves in most cases and yet the women get worse prison sentences and um i've heard laura richards bring up this i don't have the stats in front of me but a woman is more likely to get a worse sentence for protecting herself from an abusive husband particularly if he wasn't attacking her and trying to kill her at the moment she killed him than a man is for killing his wife and it's just crazy. And we could talk about it all night, yes, but I think it's probably time for us to go. Yes, it is. I'll do an episode and maybe we'll get it out two weeks from now and get back on track. Maybe. And I want to thank everyone for listening. Yes. And I don't know what else. Thank uh, you. Yeah, thank you. And you know where our website is. No. We never talk about our website. We have a website, Crime and Stuff Online. <laughs> dot com you can go and, and we have more stuff on there pictures and we're stuff on and threads kind of kind of i'll try to do and some we more we have threads. a facebook page which does not is not open for yeah like, it's not a it's not a group it's just a page right it's just but page, we do post right. stuff and you can and if you want to talk to us on it you can just respond a lot of people right. will respond to something i post and, and we do have an email address that i always forget to check crime and stuff at gmail.com yeah and I guess I should check our Groovy Tube one, which I don't think I've checked in four years. And, see and if Groovy Tube, if any of you didn't know, right. we are going to be finishing our Groovy Tube of the Brady Bunch. First week of November, it's coming back. And after Yay! four years and by popular demand and the sound quality, we just both re-listened and are appalled at how bad it sounded. Although yeah. we, you know, it, we tried, we we did the best we could with what we had. At and the time. I also want to tell people that we do have merch and we have links on our site. Yes, we do. Did I? And the mom, this? mom wears our t-shirts all the time right. and she gets lots of compliments on That's them. That's good. Okay. Well, I guess we should go. I want to watch the last. To pee. And I want to watch the last two episodes of I am a stalker. Oh, and by the way, you can cut this out. You can cut out what I said before. Okay, maybe I will. Um, you can cut that out because my here I go. Okay. And oh, actually, you know what? You should take that out.